to Supply Chain Next with your host, Richard Donaldson. Join us as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges professionals face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. And hello, welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And uh, um, I am thrilled this morning for me, this afternoon for Vivian Tai here uh, to join us on this episode. Super excited to have you here, Vivian, and you are in Amsterdam today. So thanks for thanks for dialing in and, and, and welcome. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're going to get into it. And uh, there's so much in here that I want to get into, especially with all the things that you are doing with GS1, uh, your, your your kind of position and thought leadership when it comes to kind of the, you know, the asset management, the data records, the clean records that are out there. And that is near and dear my heart. So so we'll leave that there. But, you know, like kind of like start every episode, we'd love to hear a little bit about you and your origin story, because you know, a lot of people are very curious about, you know, they hear all these supply chain things and like people are curious, both at almost undergrad levels through graduate programs, through professionals, mm-hmm. people love to hear how you kind of started, you know, your, your course and what brought you into the world of supply chain. Yeah, sure. So I think this is kind of the story that a lot of supply professionals are familiar with, but we kind of fall into it. You don't really necessarily choose to be in it. Um, and maybe the, um, you know, narrative has changed a bit for others who are, you know, becoming really aware of supply chains. But for me, I actually started out on the um, retail tech side, like right after graduation, I was working at a retail tech startup. And then I went into an innovation lab to continue my um, interests in the technology um, and, uh, you know, the, the potential it has to make an impact on industries. And then I, from the innovation side, fell into this role, which is innovation for supply chains. So um, it was kind of a meandering path, but Mm -hmm. I think it, when I look back, it makes a lot of sense because I've always been chasing after making an impact. And Mm -hmm. where would you make an impact if not in supply chains, where it touches on every facet of our lives? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to double click on a couple things in there because I think, you know, oftentimes when people are telling their origin stories, and I kind of use that in the, the world of Marvel and DC and all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, there's superpowers, right? And you've developed superpowers in the area of supply chain, whether you wanted to or not. But I also <laughs> think you keyed on something as well, you know, certainly the crop currently, a lot of people fall into supply chain. Right. Even though it's the it now becoming the biggest thing, it's the top of mind for everything. It's like, the yeah. you know, it's 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 the Leviathan in the sea that people knew was there, but never quite fully saw or addressed. However, for a lot of the people listening, you know, you went to school and, you know, you had a particular career path like a lot of us did. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I had international relations and economics. I never thought I was going to be in supply chain, um, you know, and you look like kind of dabbled in the fashion world, right? Yes. So you went to school for something, yes, you know, yes. then kind of got into fashion, which is kind of more, I'm going to say more traditional. Yes. Somewhere in that path in fashion, you came across supply chain and were like, oh my God, I turned <laughs> it over. And, you know, that's not a normal progression, but I think it, it sets the stage for your, again, origin story and how you got in. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you want to d- dive deeper into that? Yeah. End of yeah. Okay, yeah. So- yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because I think that's I think that's a part of you. I think that makes yeah, it, yeah. for a lot of people who are like, oh my god, I can't get into supply chain. Well, the lesson out of this is 
You don't have to have started in supply anywhere. chain. You can start anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I did go to school for um, uh, fashion, but the business side of things, I was right. more focused into the marketing, the uh, advertising communications, all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in school, the reason why I went into a fashion school, so I went to FIT and mm-hmm. I, I went there because when I was picking um, like a career path, because that's mm-hmm. what you do when you look at schools, right? That's, I was super practical about it. I was like, okay, I've always been really fascinated by the, the idea of continual uh, generation of demand, like, and what industry does it better than the fashion industry? Like somehow they're able to get people to continue to buy, buy, buy on a shorter and shorter time cycle and on like a, a really accelerated, um, like pace. Mm -hmm. And so I was really fascinated by that side of the, the, psychology of it. So for me, I wanted to tap into like, okay, so what motivates this uh, industry, this like multi-trillion dollar industry? And how do I get to become a part of that? Of course, like, you know, the glamour of fashion was a a part of it, but I was really fascinated by the way that commerce worked in Mm -hmm. such a fast moving industry. Mm -hmm. And as I went on to, you know, do internships to get professional experiences throughout my schooling, I realized that more and more, I really just wanted to solve problems. Like, you know, my fascination with like the consumer side of things, like the marketing, the psychology, like all of that is there, but I wanted to solve bigger problems. So whenever I went to the next job, to the next job, to the next job, like I was always chasing like, okay, what can I do to impact um, not only the the very niche, um, you know, few companies that I'd be working with, what can I do to make a bigger impact um, not only on the industry, but potentially on peripheral industries or, or, or beyond that. And I, mm-hmm. I had that big, um, you know, desire to do something, but I didn't know where to take that ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that innovation was really the space where I would be allowed to, um, make that kind of impact across, you know, w- wherever I go, it would, it would be, um, something that would enable me mm-hmm. to tackle big problems. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that actually then kind of sets the stage for kind of how you ended up where you are now, because, you know, again, you were you went in with the idea of really kind of driving business and innovation and, you know, have that entrepreneurial mindset going into a vertical fashion. Right. But and Mm -hmm. then somewhere, you know, because, you know, you did some cool, you know, some really cool things along the way, but then you tacked into and this is where I think it gets fascinating into this organization called GS1. Right. Yes. Now. (laughs) First and foremost, I think you need to also explain because a lot of people have never heard of GS1, right? Sure. And it's a, such a, it's an amazing thing when people hear that story. But then the second part of my question is also going to be out of all the things in the world to move from fashion to GS1 of all things is not obvious, right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm wickedly curious to find out how you made that transition. Yeah. So actually it was for me less the transition from fashion into GS1 and more from one side of innovation. Like I was doing innovation work for uh, like apparel companies, but then, and then I chased the innovation like inkling. um, So so within that, that can can I ask within that? Because somewhere in there, you must've, if you've migrated to GS1 now, I know what it is. I'm going to ask you again to kind of explain the audience what GS1 is, but kind of, I'm going to triple click now on what you just said, because somewhere in your pathway, in your journey in fashion, you migrated into the world of data. You migrated into the world of 
the lack of standardization globally for asset records, right? Yes. So, and that, which leads obviously to GS1, I'm kind of leading the witness here, but you know, in, in this line of questioning, like, like walk through that, like, cause that's, that I think is really interesting, right? Like you kind of just naturally gravitated towards probably the biggest problem supply chain has. So looking back on that, reflecting on that, like, you know, you instinctively, you know, navigated, right? Like a salmon swimming upstream and like, you knew where to go, even though there wasn't necessarily a path laid out for you. Looking back on that, how did you, how did that happen? Okay, so I'm going to answer the first part of your question, which is what is GS1? Um, So specifically, I work in GS1 US, and Mm -hmm. we are a global neutral not-for-profit organization, and we're one of the largest identification and standards organizations in the world. And I'd like to call us kind of the the best kept secret of supply chains as we enable so much of it. Um, And we are really best known as the administrator of the UPC barcode, but it's so much more than that. Every time you think about like a data carrier, such as like a QR code or an RFID tag or something along those lines, there's actually the potential for GS1 standards to be hyper relevant and and really an amplifier for those technologies. So, um, and how old I, is GS1 out of curiosity? Cause it's not, it's not like super old either. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, a 50 plus 50, oh, it's 50 years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was more like 10 or 20, but okay. 50 years. So it's been yeah. around for a while. Yeah. We've been around for a while. Okay. Um, that's and, why I say we're the best, best kept secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And within that, okay. So now kind of then exposed. So GS1 is really kind of, like you said, kind of the, the, the global standards body for, you know, I, unique, I'll call it things or asset identification, right? Sure. And therefore it's creating a way that universally, again, you know, whether I look at a barcode in, you know, Indiana or in Kazakhstan, it's going to yield the same information. GS1 is the central database, right? That's kind of built, not only building that, but then creating all the data fields and records, you know, associated with those codes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so with that, then, and again, you and your career path kind of started identifying that as an issue, right, in your sort of pursuit of the business side of fashion, which then led to GS1 for you, right? So I'm still kind of curious as to that progression, because again, I, I, GS1, like you said, is the best kept secret for everything. It is the underpinning to what I think is going to unlock the supply chain of the future. Um, and so again, I think we could talk for hours just about that. Yes. But as it pertains to you and your career development, again, it's a fascinating, like even at GS1, I'm sure most of the people there didn't seek out GS1 to work there. They kind of fell into it too. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Um, so just to be completely transparent for me, I didn't seek things out at GS1. Okay. I didn't even know what GS1 you, like standards were until yeah. I saw the job posting and started looking into it. Right. So um, I was looking specifically for innovation roles. And so innovation, you know, a few years ago, um, there were jobs, of course, but it wasn't like um, uh, as prevalent as it might be today. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just looking around for options out there. And there are a lot of like, um, you know, innovation labs that might be looking for people. Um, but I, again, was chasing the bigger impact, the higher high, right? So yeah. um, when I came across this job posting, I was like, I have no idea what they do, but this sounds really interesting. Um, I'm going to apply and see what comes out of it. So it was, I think my background actually uh, played a role in um, how the the hiring team saw me because they liked that I had industry experience because right. 
taking that back into, um, you know, our organization at GS1 US, being able to serve our members with actual industry experience in hand, that's mm-hmm. actually, um, that, that makes it, you know, more relevant, mm-hmm. whatever we do more relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I have to say that it's, it's not as hyper intentional as I, um, as, as you might've thought it was really just, I was looking for open positions in the yeah. innovation space. And then I came across a very, very interesting proposition that, uh, like the, the GS one hiring team was laying out. Absolutely. And I think, but again, at the end of the day, things happen for a reason. Right. I think that's kind of the whole point when you started with this is we don't normally a lot of people in supply chain today didn't think to pursue that as a career the same way like a doctor might. Right. Like, you know, as a kid, you go to college, you're like, oh, my God, I need to be a doctor. And so you're just hyper focused on that. Most of us supply chain folks, as you say, kind of fell into it. Right. We didn't go to school for it, but we kind of naturally got there. So, I, I mean, that lends right to the story. So GS1 is kind of this, you know, again, fascinating, best kept secret out there. And you are the director of innovation. Right. So mm-hmm. what is that? What does that mean at GS1? I mean, GS1 is, is you know, this this what's innovating at the, at, you know, at this supply chain. Level. And it's so time. I mean, I'm excited to hear your kind of thoughts on this because, you know, I think you are literally at the forefront of what's going to unlock the supply chain of the future, the connect the whole supply chain of the future. Yeah. So basically, uh, I work on the innovation and partnerships team. And what we're really charged with is um, the Look, looking around the corner for our industry members for the emerging technologies that will have mass market adoption potential in the zero to 10 year range. It's mm-hmm. a very, very mass, massive horizon. Um, mm-hmm. But as you know, with things that just happen um, globally, anything that might be in horizon three or like, you know, 10 years out could slide to become something that's super relevant in the next year or two. So mm-hmm. these, these time horizons are really quite flexible. And um, in looking at emerging technologies, we really tried to have it be um, relevant to the you know, main industries that we serve. We like to say that we serve over 25 plus different industries, but I would say that there are four kind of pillar industries mm-hmm. that we serve. So mm-hmm. that's apparel and general merchandise, okay. my, my home. Yeah, right, um, right. Or it, where it used to be my home, yeah. um, food service consumer packaged goods, and then healthcare and pharmaceuticals. Those are really kind of the, the, the industries that we interact with on, on the most consistent basis, but there are definitely others. Um, And I would say that um, for the innovation team, the exciting part for what we do is we listen to problems, but we also, you know, scout for startups. We look Mm -hmm. at, you know, what's up and coming and we try to apply whatever it is that that we're seeing and then associating it or applying standards to it because what we're really trying to do is extend the reach and relevance of gs1 standards showing Mm -hmm. people how to connect the dots between emerging technologies the problems that they're facing or the challenges that are arising and how standards could be a part of that as either Mm -hmm. an amplifier or an enabler so so let me tie back to again this is going to sort of a um a question about also GS1 as well too. So what what is GS1's kind of clear mission statement, right? Because I think you're also talking about that, right? And aligning mm-hmm. that to what you guys are looking at in 10, 20 year timelines in innovation. And that's kind of a, a, a 
a second part to that question is, you know, again, is GS1, and we're talking about that, and I think this is, a, we could also most do multiple episodes on just GS1 itself. I think it deserves that visibility. But as a standards body that's 50 years old, it also has like cousins like the IEEE, right, or other mm-hmm. standards organizations that exist out there. So what's different about GS1 or similar to more household standards names and bodies that are out there? Yeah, so I, I think really what we're um, what we do is we help organizations uniquely identify products, locations, mm-hmm. assets, companies, and like many things along the supply chain. And we share that information in a consistent way, right? right. So that it's um, that people or organizations can transact or trade in a um, you know commonly understandable way. Mm-hmm. We really like to say that the identification of everything makes anything possible. And as we see more and more of a convergence between digital and physical mm-hmm. um, realms, this is this is going to underpin everything, the identification piece. So right. that's really what I think uh, I would say is um, mission critical to, to what we do. Right. Is it is it is it fair to say, and we're going to kind of repeat a little bit, which is, is it fair to say that sort of GS1's mission is really, like you said, as a neutral standards body to create the digital, the physical and digital, I guess, standard records that are associated with assets, right? Because at the end of the day, right, if I'm not mistaken, GS1 is really trying to create the standard records, right, that everyone can transact on. Because, you know, if we have one global supply chain, and I, again, I'm trading something, you know, a, a garment from, you know, Perth, Australia, and it's going all the way over to say Scotland, and I don't have any standard record between how do how do I communicate? How do I know what's going on? And so underneath all of the covers, GS1 is there to create standards across all assets globally that's com that creates a common way for everyone to transact. Yeah. So um the more like you're you're hitting on all the right um points. Okay. I just would say that it's like more of that GS1 provides a common language sure. so that parties can seamlessly communicate it, like you know their their data needs across the supply chain so right. that you know products become easy to find buy trace and you know you can fulfill on a on a common basis right Right. And then I think, well, and again, the super, I'll tell you, you know, the analogy that comes to mind immediately for me uh, is in the world, and most people don't realize this, but in the world of aviation, when you're a pilot, right, if you become a pilot in the world, you have to learn English, right? Because there has to be one common language for all pilots and all planes flying in and out of every airport. So even if you're on a, say, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, say a French air carrier and you're landing in Paris, you are speaking English. Because there has to be a common language for all these pilots and air traffic controllers mm-hmm. to communicate. Otherwise, planes would be crashing all over the place. Yeah. So you're creating that you're creating that standard language, right? And trying to apply it to this fragmented supply chain that is now becoming, and everyone's recognizing, is actually one giant supply chain. Like the supply yes. chain is the it's like a web. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a network, right? It's a, and in yeah. fact, even the word with Jim Tompkins, we were on the other day. Who, who, who you know, and we were talking about how even the word supply chain is not apropos anymore. It really is more mm-hmm. of a network, like you just said. And really, you know, like there's even a new lexicon we should probably start thinking about in the world of supply chain as it evolves, right? Um, but a- a- again, I think, you know, coming, pulling back here into what, what you're doing, I mean, GS1, first of all, I mean, again, like I said, I, I was so thrilled to have you on here because I think it's such an incredible thing that people need to know about. It's so timely right now in the world of supply chain because mm-hmm. the hundred gigatons of things that we see out there, 
needs to have a GS1-like standard apply to all of it so we can all see it. Otherwise, we're just we're, we're never going to see the full supply chain. So I think that, I mean, again, it just seems like for 50 years, GS1 has been kind of doing this thing. And all of a sudden now in 2022 or 2021, it has got to be the hottest thing out there right now, right? And you're leading innovation. Like how much cooler could that be? Yeah, I I feel the same way. Right. Um, so, you know, we get to explore a lot of um, various technologies from um, biotechnology, such as DNA tagins to artificial oh intelligence God. to the metaverse. Like all of these things actually have a relevance, not only to supply chains, but to the ways, ways in which we um, com- like do commerce. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, definitely in a very exciting space. Well, let's, 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 let's dive into that. Let's dive into a little bit of where, so, so we've kind of got into a little bit of, you know, where you've come from, how you've gotten into it. And now we've talked you know, about GS1 as a standards body and what it's doing. And you are at the forefront of its innovation looking out 10 or 20 years. And I'm sure now this is where we get into it. There's all these buzzwords running around, right? I mean, everyone hears all like, you know, it's almost like buzzword bingo. It's like, yeah. you know, whether it's blockchain or AI or ML or NFTs or, you know, God only knows what 3D printing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. You're the expert. What's really drive? What when you look at innovation for this type of world? What is your top three or four things that you're kind of focused on? And maybe take a view out a little bit further. Like, what do you see in the horizon that people aren't even aware of right now? Um, so I would actually say, um, and I, and I always say this because I'm in innovation, but like <laughs> technology is just a means to an end. It, it right. really depends on what you want to do with technology. Right. So, right. um, like, it, it, like blockchain is meaningless if you don't actually have a good use case for it. Right. right. So right. what's your um, problem? If you don't have a good problem statement, you can't do anything. Exactly. So right. I, I really think that, you know, a good amount of my time is spent looking and evaluating what the problems actually are so that we can connect the solution to that problem. Yeah. Um, so in, ter- in terms of the question that you're asking about, I would say that uh, the, the trend that we should be looking towards um, is yeah, improving our, our traceability. So that starts mm-hmm. with, of course, unique identification. And how mm-hmm. do you enable that unique identification? Well, you could go about it in a myriad ways, right? Like there are lots more um, people buying into like RFID or investing into yeah. RFID nowadays, but RFID is like old news. There's yeah, right. like what I was mentioning earlier with the DNA tagins and biotechnology, that could be a new way to um, kind of bridge the gaps between some of your upstream or even downstream traceability mm-hmm. being able to uh, look at emerging data carriers, which is actually one of my focus areas or mm-hmm. um, I would say that that's been really exciting because to what you were mentioning earlier Mm -hmm. with um, 3D printing, like what if you could embed something within that printed good such that when you can, you know, in an invisible way, be able Mm -hmm. to know exactly what that product is. So that's really where I think um, our our standards can come into play with all of these um, new trends that we're seeing, whether that's like mass customization or like even with, uh, you know, higher degrees of automation, all needs to start with having unique identification. Because what I'd like to say is having unique identification is to have unique value. Once you're able to do that, you can start to have unique stories for the different products along the supply chain so that you know that this table versus that table, even if they're created at the same time, they have totally different, um, you know, carbon impacts. They have totally different, um, you know, a a journey of their own. 
Right, right. No, I, I, so I, again, totally near and dear my heart. And again, full disclosure here: your, your, the entire operating thesis that you're going through is is one that that I myself shared. Right, and one of the reasons why I kind of jumped into supply chain was to go tackle this big, hairy, audacious problem that we see in front of us, which is a highly fragmented and disconnected supply chain, right? And I learned that lesson myself uh, when I was at eBay. And, you know, when I started there and thrown into supply chain and asked the question, hey, where, where are all of our routers? And it took me a number of months to get all that information. And I was immediately like, oh my God, like, how is it we don't know where everything is? And there's not a unique ID for this stuff because it all starts, like you said, with that unique ID. If I don't have a way to uniquely identify things moving through the supply chain, I'll never be able to see the whole supply chain, right? So it's a, and, and you're trying to superimpose kind of a <clears throat> digital monitoring and tracking system onto an existing functional supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also one of the major, it's not like we're starting from scratch. It's not like when we started the internet, it was a white, literal whiteboard, right? And we could create standards as we went. One of the biggest problems we have now is going in and doing open I would say open heart surgery, but it's even worse. It's like we're doing open spinal surgery on the central (laughs) nervous system, right? And you do not want to cut a nerve while you're doing it. And I think that's one of the big trepidations and even maybe a reason why supply chain has been untouched for years, even though it's everyone kind of knew, you know, we got to do this. But now through the pandemic and the exposure of the lack of that standards and, and access and transparency has forced this into a priority. Right. Is yeah. that, and that actually is just sort of interesting because it dovetails to right when you started at GS1, then the pandemic hits, then supply chain becomes like the number one thing. Yes. Right. So um, I, I, I was going to ask you a little bit about that because your timing is eerie on point. Right. You know, I mean, you literally <laughs> landed at GS1 right when supply chain, as caused by the pandemic exposure, was becoming the big number one thing everyone's focused on. Yeah, um, I, I actually I had nothing to do with that, that timing. <laughs> I didn't, okay, I, okay, I, I'm saying, no right, conspiracy. Right. Here. right, right, no, no, no. Hey, if you're driving everything in the, we found the the person who's driving everything in the background. You know, yeah. Um, so I would actually say that like the the pandemic is actually kind of a, a symptom to a larger problem, or ex- it exposed the symptom to a larger problem in supply chains, which is that it's been hyper-optimized, very linear and very focused on um, efficiency and almost like right. in a, to a rigid degree. Yeah. So I would say that um, it was only a matter of time before uh, supply chains became a hot topic because right. the way we were going is was simply not sustainable. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that there will be more and more investments towards supply chain resilience and flexibility as we see more disruptions, uh, you know, geopolitical strife, climate catastrophes, like all of those things that are are coming to play right now. um, These are going to affect us, our our lives in a very real way. And uh, our supply chains are kind of, they, they are what we build our past, present and future upon. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one one person comes to mind is Brian Aoyo and and, and Lisa Morales over at Refashion Ventures. If you don't know them, I they, I love them. I yeah, love they're them. awesome, right? They're, I mean, again, it's such best, a small yeah. world, and they're they're all over it. And Brian, you know, he always says the world is a supply chain, right? And 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 I think that's also becoming true. Is that the you know the hyperconnectedness? I mean, the internet's connected to everybody, but even before the internet existed, the supply chain. 
And it was this global network that was developing, even though we didn't think of it as a network that kind of formed up over the last, you know, number of decades, because people have been trading since the dawn of man, right? And there's always been a supply chain. We've just never thought of it that way. And now it is, you know, we can't avoid it any longer. The hundred trillion dollar global economy is being fueled by the hundred gigatons of stuff that we yank you know, put into the supply chain every year, right? And those numbers come respectively from, you know, the World Economic Forum, the Circle Economy Group, and whatever. Um, and, and, and again, to nail the point home, GS1 is literally at the vanguard of connecting all those supply chains, right? And, 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 and I mean, what, a, what an exciting time to be where you're at doing what you're doing. So now let's look forward a little bit though, right? So, you know, you talked about, I mean, it's a, it's a massively, you know, Massive problem to connect all that stuff, to, 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 to create unique IDs across all of the hundred gigatons of stuff moving around. And that's also, by the way, that's, that's agriculture, biomass stuff, and physical materials like steel and everything else, right? You're, yep. you're kind of still a little bit, if I'm not mistaken, upstream a little bit in more of the semi-manufactured things. Do you envision moving downstream a little bit towards the point of origination and the raw goods themselves as they move into the supply chain? Yeah. So actually that is um, like right up our alley. That's something that we're really hoping to to get more um, headway into yep. because you're right. Typically it, we've been mostly thought of at, like in the finished goods space, right? Yep. Yeah. We will have um, in some industries better adoption in, um, you know, the ingredient side of things, but mm-hmm. we really want to get, um, you know, closer to the, the point of origin mm-hmm. um, as much as possible, because we talk a lot about um, how our standards actually would be great for that end-to-end traceability. Absolutely. Now it's really just up to the um, industries to start adopting it. So part of the pilots that I do tries to show that value in the both upstream and downstream. So um, one of the pilots that I'm working on actively is actually around material traceability for plastics as it goes past point of sale and past point of consumption. You know, where does that plastic end up and how does it get recovered? How can a, um, you know, large producer or a brand manufacturer, how would they be able to bring that used plastic back into their supply chains? So, you know, the idea of circularity comes comes to play. And that's actually something that we're um, trying to show more and more of the GS1 standards value in. Because well, people I, I, don't I, normally think about it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm I was sort of biting my tongue there because I was ready to jump up and down when you naturally and presciently moved into the world of circularity because I was right about to connect those dots. Yep. And just like you're saying, even in that great example, you know, circularity has now become also concurrently a priority. And in a way, circularity is fundamental to the rethinking of what we once conceived of a linear supply chain is now moving into a circular network, right? Mm-hmm. And what you just described is exactly the reasons why to get into it. Because again, if we if we simply moved into circular, right, we solve so many of our sustainability problems. If we start to reuse, extend the life of, recycle, whatever you want to call it. And oh, by the way, we have more than enough stuff that we've wasted that's sitting around in, you know, long-term waste facilities that could be yeah. reused right? Precluding us from ever using a new material. So, so where I'm headed with this is, you know, your standards allow people to find that traceability on the circular, the back end or the circular side of it, right? We've also talked about the connective tissue towards the actual raw materials themselves or the virgin materials, Mm -hmm. but then it leads me to 
once that's identified and we can see that, how do we then begin to demonstrate or catalyze or move in the direction of more circular use, less virgin material use, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to be kind of an extension of where you're trying to head or at least the goal you're trying to get to. Totally. So, you know, when I say that, yeah, it starts with unique identification, but what you do after that is kind of the more important thing, which is once you start associating unique attributes um, to products that you've identified, that's when you start fleshing out the story of it, right? Like it's it's life cycle, it's uh, embedded embodied carbon impact, like where it's been and where it can go, how many times it's been recycled or are remanufactured or reused, mm-hmm. like all of those um, statistics about mm-hmm. the or data about the product, that suddenly becomes um, a, a, a viable option because mm-hmm. you have that product's passport. And actually, mm-hmm. that that brings me to something that I'm really excited about: yeah. material passports and digital product passports. That's becoming more uh, relevant in the EU as like a legislative thing. Um, it's still kind of you know in the works, but that's something that. Uh, manufacturers, um, brands, like they're going to have to prepare for that. Okay. Um, Can we so- unpack that a little bit? Because I think, again, you you know it because you live and breathe it. So it's like almost like, you know, uh, ox, you know, you don't even think about it. But can you unpack that a little bit? Because that's a, that's a really, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. And what you're talking about is actually the not, I don't want to say conclusion, but kind of where, you know, what are we going to do once we uniquely identify? Well, now all of a sudden, assets are going to have passport requirements and restrictions just like people do. Yes. Right. And so, I mean, that uh, unpack that a little bit. That's, I think most people don't realize that's going on, even what's going on regulatory wise, right? Countries are stepping up and going, you know what? We're no longer going to allow anything that comes in this country that, you know, had child labor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. So, so actually there's, um, a lot going on right now behind the scenes to yeah. make it so that um, like d- digital product passports can be a uh, viable option for companies, yeah. but essentially you s- you're starting to see momentum for it within, yeah. um, uh, yeah, w- within the the U.S. Maybe there's less so of that, but when I when people are focused on digital product passports, it's really for the use cases that I've just described, right? Being able to track and trace something to know how many times um, something has been through. Uh, I don't know, sanitation or sure. like what, whatever it is that action or that event is, right. you have a way to um, know that story. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really for the purposes of circularity that this digital product passport is really important. Yep. Yep. So let's, let me, let me, I'm going to go back to a sort of more of a rudimentary question because I think it also is going to help kind of connect some dots here. So, you know, GS1 is a is a 5013 so it's a global nonprofit just like the IEEE right it's a standards yeah. body right it's not to ma- it's not out making profit although it, it it creates revenue right but yep. and you talk about users and you talk about your members or or however you view that how does a company actually work with GS1 yeah so actually it starts with a a prefix like you yeah. come to us for a license so that you're company is globally and uniquely identified with that prefix. And then uh, everything, you know, when you look at the the numbers underneath a barcode, right? Like there's the machine readable portion and then there's the human readable portion, which are the numbers. It's that combination of a unique company prefix and the unique um, product number that uh, really is how you uniquely identify a product. Um, we call the the whole 
number uh, for a product, uh-huh. a GTIN, so a global trade item number. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of other IDs that we have um, to identify things and locations along the sure. supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's so, and, and I, I guess I'm kind of doing a little. Uh, uh, Sales advertising here for for y'all because again I, I'm sitting here going well how come not every company in the world or every Fortune 2000 should be knocking on your door right now saying I want to sign up and and get this standardization going on I you know because I can't see into my assets and oh by the way I I understand now I'm part of a global supply chain and if I don't work with someone like GS1 I'll never understand what's going on in the overall supply chain and how I'm being impacted. Yeah, so uh, that that's the the multi million dollar <laughs> billion dollar question, right? <laughs> right. So, um, I I think I mean as a, a person wearing the GS One US hat and also like you know huge fan, but like just objectively speaking, I totally agree with you. But I can see that um, there are some people who find less value in in you know potentially adding serial numbers to their products or whatever, because they are a vertically integrated operation where they don't want to interact with, you know, outside trading partners where they want to, you know, have a a degree of uh, privileged information. I I think those are the ones who are kind of um, furthest away from wanting to adopt uh, like globally unique identification that can be, you know, um, referenced by others in the supply chain. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be diplomatic here about this, but you know what I, and I'm not you, but I'm just saying like those companies that if they're listening, right. I'd be like, okay, you are kind of writing yourself off into oblivion because you're not recognizing that the supply chain, this, 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 this hundred gigatons on this hundred trillion is one big supply chain. And there is not, there is not a unique individual enterprise supply chain that exists on this planet. It's all part of one global supply chain. And and again, it kind of goes back to the whole key around supply chain, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. this evolution is going to be about collaboration, right? Yes. If if we don't figure out that companies at the end of the day are all, we're all human beings on the same planet pulling from Mm -hmm. the same resources, right? I don't care if you're Nike or Ford or, you know, Rolls Royce, right? At the end of the day, steel comes from all the same places, right? Uh, yep. The materials, cotton comes from all the same places. So I find it kind of interesting and and, and I, I get it, right? You're, you're kind of shedding the whole, you know, this is sort of the open source, closed source war that early on in software days happened, right? Well, open source won, right? And it's mm-hmm. the same thing here. It's like, you know, it's kind of like an open source, you know, version of, you know, the global supply chain on display. And I'm just curious. I mean, I, I get it. I hear the same thing too, right? But th- now let's think about some of the forward thinkers that you're working with. They're coming in and they're like, yeah, rah, rah, we're a part of this. I mean, there's got to be a flood of people. Are there other industries that you guys are starting to get? Are you talk about your four pillars, you know, are things like oil and gas or transportation or, you know, some of the more industrial style things, right? I mean, healthcare is pretty industrial at the back end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what are the other kind of you know big industries that you see kind of joining up with you guys? Um, so actually, I would say that because GS1 operates on the federated model, right? So maybe GS1 um, in the Netherlands or GS1 France, like they might have other types of um, industries that they work really well with. So some would work really well with construction. Some would work really well with transportation and logistics. But um, from our side. Of course, like from um, like a development perspective, we would love to get more into these uh, other industries, but we need to develop that muscle for it. Right. I so you. I am totally all for, you know, running 
pilots and for these types of industries to show, you know, evidence in hand, this is how GS1 standards can support your industries. But in order to scale it up, we need, mm. you know, the, the right experts to, to come to the table to um, contribute to uh, the development of the standards, to contribute to the work groups. And it's to, to stand up a new um, industry entirely is um, requires a lot of people coming to the table. Right. So it is a lot of um, like the reason why it, I would say like the developments for other industries might be a little slower is mm -hmm. simply to get the idea in those industry participants heads that, Hey, like we GS1 US standards are a viable option to helping you with your um, with, with your supply chain needs. Absolutely. Well, let, let me, let me tie it to another kind of big, big buzzword that's out there right now, digital twins, right? Yes. So anybody who's in supply chain is talking about digital twins, which is kind of the natural evolution or I don't want to say conclusion, but that's the goal, right? Is you want to create a digital twin of your supply chain, both the global supply chain and your unique individual supply chain within that supply chain, right? GS1 is the key to getting to that digital twin. Totally. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, so, so I look at the digital twin consortium as an example, right? Now, whether that's going to work or not, but that's an industry group, nonprofit, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure where that's going to be because it still has sort of that corporate, you know, kind of involvement that doesn't, the word GS1 is very neutral, right? Cause you mm -hmm. don't have that corporate kind of like, you know, that's your neutrality is key to your success, right? Yeah. But by necessity, yeah, it has to be. Organization. Yeah, it has to be. You can't, cause everyone's gonna be like, Oh my God, if this is, you know, backed by Chevron, I'm never going to work it kind of thing or whatever. Right. So, yeah. so, but I look at the digital twin kind of momentum and I see a lot of people talking about that, but they don't necessarily connect to the data. The GS one is kind of prepping for that digital twinning. Right. So do you work with right now kind of, you know, leveraging other organizations that are in the world of digital twins or how, how do you connect to digital twins? Because that to me feels like if every chief supply chain officer is saying, well, digital twins is my number one priority, you should be talking to GS1. Yes. Oh, thank you for that. Plan, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so actually this really comes back to the digital product passport note that I was making earlier. Like yeah. in, in fact, a lot of them, it's like, there's so much overlap that I, I would dare say that there's a, I wouldn't call them exactly the same, but like no, 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 no. You're an enabler to the digital twins. I mean, that, yeah. you're, you're a core functional enabler. If you don't have the asset data and transparency done right, yes. you will never get to digital twins. Yes, exactly. So I would say that like for um, digital twins, like it's not just a supply chain thing. It's actually like when you think about um, like the metaverse, right? Like when yeah. you think about the digital, the physical connection, mm -hmm. you need a digital twin, but you also need um, some kind of anchor to tie that digital asset to the rea reality, right? Or right. to the real world. So really, I think that, um, you know, from an innovation perspective, like there's mm -hmm. so much space that we could occupy in terms of like unique identity for digital products. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's let's come back into and and one that just jumps out at me too is you know healthcare, right? That vertical and specifically, you know, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is is a need for everything you do, right? So I suspect again timing. You start up in 2019. You're at GS1. All of a sudden, the pandemic shows up, and I'll, I bet healthcare may or may not have been one of the pillars at that time, but became a pillar immediately, right? If it wasn't before, it is now, right? If not one of the priorities. 
and the healthcare system is doing exactly that. They're like, we need traceability for our drugs, right? Like yes, at the end of the yes. day. So, I mean, they're running at you going, help, help, help. Yeah. Like, right. So, so actually we've been um, working closely with the healthcare industry for, I think many decades now. I, it, it definitely precedes my time. Yeah. Um, but we have been working closely um, with the industry on meeting regulatory needs. So like the, uh, like DSCSA needs, like the drug supply chain act. Um, I, I might be missing one of the acronyms, but it, gotcha, that yeah. is something that we are actively uh, working on right now with our work groups. And um, because, you know, standards, it's such a, a consensus based thing. Right. So when industry, when regulatory um, like bodies come together to mm -hmm. assert certain needs, that's when things start moving quickly. So I would actually say that uh, our healthcare vertical or um, industry is that like, you know, quite successful in ad adopting yeah. um, the GS1 standards. Well, if it wasn't successful before, maybe it's been working for 20, 30 years, but certainly the pandemic pushed it into like hyper success, right? <laughs> like, like I bet the activity must have gone up tenfold over the last couple of years, just in the healthcare practice with the GS1. Yeah. I mean, the, the traceability of right. um, healthcare products is definitely like high priority, whether that's on the pharmaceutical side or, or like, you know, the healthcare right. side. Right. Well, let's take a look. Let's let's, we're, we're, you know, and again, these things happen. I look at the clock and I go, oh, my God, it's an hour already. I could literally spend the day with you because I mean, I, you're it, it, number one, you're just in such a fascinating company, you know, GS1. And secondly, your function, right, to look at innovation for this. I mean, you're you are literally setting the foundation for what ultimately will be the unified supply chain of the future. I mean, 10, 10, 20 years from now. Right we will be able to see into the supply chain where everything's going, how it's being used, right? That is, and but you are literally laying the foundation with the standards that's going to make that happen, right? I mean, that, it yes. is like such that, an exciting place to be. That is definitely the the aspiration. We're working at it every day. <laughs> yeah, right on. So with that in mind, then kind of let's, you know, in a, in a way like, you know, what's coming up for you or the organization over the next year? What are the exciting things that you can kind of give people some previews into both for yourself in the role of innovation or even for GS1 in, say, 2023? Yeah, so I think, um, like, personally, what I've been working on has been, you know, largely focused on circularity and, and sustainability, awesome. bringing that into um, supply chains so that they can become more resilient. So I mentioned earlier that downstream material traceability projects, but I'm also really excited about being able to help companies um, have greater accountability for their um their footprint, their impact right. the, of, of the products that they're producing. So we have recently um, wrapped up a pilot where we are able to associate carbon impact emissions uh, to a traceability journey um, of wow. a product. So That's basically awesome. through the use of, um, you know, GS1 standards, through the use of a unique identifier at every step of um, the supply chain, whenever, you know, the product is from source to um, a processor, to a distributor, to point of sale, at each step, there's going to be, um, you know, its unique journey has a unique set of carbon impact associated, right? So for the longest time, people would probably not even think about GS1 standards ha having any sort of relevance to, um, you know, carbon accountability. But mm -hmm. now, I uh, because of the project set, we've been working on in the innovation team, like this is becoming more of that narrative. So I really hope that when I um, look into next year, we can become more of that enabler for those types of 
um, traceability, transparency, and, and accountability. Let me ask you a question on that. And and because uh, again, this is something very near and dear to my heart is, is, you know, sometimes we overthink things, right? We overcomplicate things. And in the world of circularity, which, which all of us should be, you know, jumping, leaning into whatever you want to call it, right? And the work at the Ellen uh, um, MacArthur oh. Foundation, right? Which is, you know, kind of, you know, obviously they're leading the charge and kind of the, that, uh, the circle economy group, obviously, you know, with their circularity gap reports that are coming out now annually, that's where I get the hundred gigatons of stuff. But where I'm headed is, even the idea of just simply tracking virgin material use versus non-virgin material use, which is really the essence of circularity, right? You know, does that kind of become an easier solution to achieve carbon neutrality or sustainability, right? Versus chasing carbon as, you know, the end-all be-all, right? I mean, I, I think there's an interim step that's even simpler, which is just simply, if I could demonstrate how much an enterprise or the asset is made of virgin material versus non-virgin material, or kind of like a circularity ratio, if you will, that alone, that scoring system alone will drive us towards circularity yes. and, and lead towards carbon neutrality down the road versus trying to leapfrog to the carbon neutrality kind of thing. Yes. And and definitely like what I'm about to describe is like a utopian state. Yeah, but when right. you think about like your scope one through three emissions, right? If you only had a way to track your products, your assets, your materials and everything throughout the supply chain and be able to associate that impact information to these steps along the supply chain, then you would be able to actively measure or reduce or, or maybe offset totally where applicable. So yep. that that's like, you know, my, my dream for the future. Um, hope, hoping that we can eventually get there, but it's definitely a lot of collaboration required. Well, I think with, you you know, again, and, and, and we'll kind of wind down here, but, but, you know, with you in the position that you're in, you know, given the passion, given the description that you're, you know, you know, have, of both GS1 and what you're doing, I mean, you're on the path there, right? It's exciting to see you. I mean, it's great to have you here. It's great that you're leading that charge. And so, you know, and again, I'm kind of open up too. like you're open to networking on LinkedIn, obviously, right? Yes, um, absolutely. You know, people can find you, you know, I'm assuming you also go around and interviews and speak, but, you know, people, any other ways that people can find out about you and what you're doing and what you're working on? Yeah, yeah. We welcome um, everybody to uh, find us on LinkedIn, of course. Our, uh, you know, gs1us.org is the the place to go. Uh, first and foremost, but you know, you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. And of course we have this amazing uh, podcast as well. So oh, right um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, it's called next level supply chain. And Ooh. it's like a, it's become this really fascinating um, series of conversations with, from like small businesses to, you know, big, big players as well. So uh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. No, I knew Next Level Supply Chain, but I didn't know some of the other stuff. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys are right right at the forefront. So it's awesome. Well, well again, Vivian, uh, you know, it has been a sincere pleasure. I hope we get a chance to do this again. Um, you know, really excited, you know, with not just meeting you, but also, you know, showcasing not only your career, but what you're doing. I think it's so important to the world of supply chain. Like you are really at the vanguard of what is going to change our supply chain to a digital supply chain and make it transparent. And so I just, I hope more people learn about what you are doing specifically and what GS1 is doing. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Richard. Awesome. Thanks. Well, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this episode or topics on supply chain you'd like us to cover, you can reach us at supplychainnext at request.com. 
And while you're at it, check out the Request platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud while collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at request.com.